but for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Really excited about today. I'm just excited about what God is doing. I really sense just a lot of great things. Part of me hates the new year because we like to make a lot of declarations. And, and one part of me says, why didn't you just say that yesterday? Why do you got to wait till 2019? But then there's also a part of me that loves the, the new things that we get to experience in every new year that comes on and just rededicate and say, God, we are, we are saying that this year is yours and what you want to do. Uh, and to kind of Usher in that time, I, I, I'm really excited to speak from the passage today, Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. Uh, the title of today's message is called The Great Question, The Great Question. And I think it is going to be a great question that all of us can ask ourselves today as we leave here and we begin to contemplate what will this next year look like for us? What will this next year look like? And what we're going to be looking at is we're, we're going to be looking at an example of one of John the Baptist's sermons. Now, for those of you that don't know who John the Baptist is, John the Baptist was the one that was foreshadowed that would come before the Messiah that would prepare the way for him. And he would have the spirit of Elijah on him. There are still today Jewish traditions where they leave their door open and a seat. There it is. Do you see it? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that they leave a, their door cracked and they leave a seat uh, available in case Elijah wants to come and chill uh, to usher in and signify that the Messiah is on his way. Uh, but we believe the Messiah has already come and that the spirit of Elijah was on John the Baptist to prepare the way. And so as we Listen to the word today. I'm going to ask that God prepares the way through the words of John the Baptist for what he wants to do in our life, that our hearts would be prepared for Jesus to be at work in our hearts. So you can read with me on the screens. Again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7, and this is a sermon that John the Baptist would preach uh, down to verse 14. It says, he said, therefore, to the crowds, he being John the Baptist, that came out to be baptized by him, is a great way. I'm going to start my sermons off one week this, like this. You brood of vipers, <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you have been authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages." 
Have you ever heard at the end of a production or at the uh, Union Square or while you're trying to silently ride the train to work, somebody get up and begin to preach fire and brimstone and say, if you do not know where you are going tonight, you are going probably to hell and you need to give your life over to Jesus today before it is too late. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you have been like me and they've had these cool shirts that says like burn with fire on it or hell. And it's like on the back it says, do you know where you're going, you know? (laughs) Repent before it is too late. Here is John the Baptist, son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, cousin to Mary, the mother of Jesus, preaching about repentance and baptizing people. But the crowds that came to him to be baptized were possibly seeing salvation in this act of baptism. And John's response to this is this, you evil people. Who told you about what was about to happen? You better not be here to do some act that you think will help you escape the wrath that is coming if you are not willing to bear the fruit that comes with your repentance. So many times, we as a church have lied to people about repentance. We have lied to them on their way out of the building and told them, you are good. As long as you prayed this prayer, there's nothing else that needs to happen. You will be fine. Now, go on your way. Live your life how you are living. Don't worry about anything because as long as you have this badge of this prayer that you can wave before the pearly gates, Peter will let you right through. How sad that day is for so many that we have given them false hope with a false gospel. John knew what was going to happen, that the crowds were coming to him. He knew that they were going to pin this baptism that he was offering on their shelf or on their shirt. And it was going to go on their wall of accomplishments proving that their uprightness before God. He says, somehow you have heard about what is going to happen, and you have come to escape that, thinking that through this simple act that you will be good. So he was going to stop them before they can get there. He was not about to let people into this false understanding that as long as you do this quick immersion that you can go back to your life and live the life that you have wanted to live and never worry about what is going to happen. See, the crowds were coming, and John wanted to set right the message that he was preaching. And he says to them, And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, Israel had a trump card, and John knew about it. 
They were thinking, all right, John, you're preaching. If baptism won't do the trick and I'll be good and I can go home and live how I want, then guess what? Our trump card is that we are sons of Abraham. Ha! You can't beat that. We're good. We, we have Father Abraham on our side, and God will have no choice but to let us in. We will be fine from the judgment that is coming. Well, John wants to not only debunk the reason that they're coming, possibly receiving salvation by this one act and never living out the fruit of it, but he also wants to debunk the thinking that they have, and that that is that they will be fine because of who their father was, Abraham. And to say that, John says this, you think that this is important, that being a son of Abraham is important? Guess what? God can raise up from these rocks sons of Abraham. That's how, that's how great and important it is to be a son of Abraham when that day comes. Right? The, I mean, John is just like chopping them left and right. See, the, what he wants to get across here is that the message of the good news is not repent and live like you want. That is not the message of the good news. It's repent and live like God has called you to. And he has given you a family to do it with called the church. And he has given you the power that you need to live it by called the Holy Spirit. And he has given you the one who has accomplished it named Jesus. Oftentimes, though, we have our fallback list, just like the Israelites had theirs. And when we are living the way that we want to live, and not how God has called us to live, we have sometimes this list of accomplishments that we have fulfilled. Oh, but my dad's a pastor. I wonder who used to tell themselves that. For those of you that don't know, I'm a PK through and through. We may say to ourselves, but yeah, I was baptized, so it's okay if I do X, Y, and Z. Or, yeah, I've been saved a long time. God gets me if I, if I mess up here, you know. We, we got an understanding. It might be, I, I go to church every Sunday. I'm good. Don't we understand that when, when I die and I am faced with eternity, don't you know that God takes out his attendance record and that I am going to get my gold star because I have perfect attendance? Right, we may think that it was funny for the Israelites to say, well, look at Father Abraham or look at my baptism, but woe to us if we think we don't do the same thing. We do it. It just looks a little differently for us. We have so many times as human beings, when we cannot cope with the way that we live, we come up with defense mechanisms to justify the things that we do. Come on, somebody's clapping that right now. <laughs> And those defense mechanisms in face, in opposition to the gospel, in opposition to what God has called us to do, become badges of honor. Well, don't you know that I've done this? Don't you know that I've done this? I mean, I've seen people save 30 years in the faith and still some of the meanest people you will ever meet in your life. 
<laughs> Hadouken, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't care how many years you've been saved. You're still mean, sister. You're still mean, brother. God has work to do in your life. Don't tell me how many altar calls you've been to, because I can tell you I've been to more. Man, when I was a kid, I had no understanding of salvation. I thought I had to get saved every night. I'm not even lying. We used to do street outreaches, and here I was as a five- or six-year-old, and I, I was the guy that started every altar call, because they would do the altar call. Who wants to receive Jesus? And little six-year-old Justin would be like, I don't want to go to hell, and I would go up there every single time. And every night before I went to sleep, I would pray, God, please save me. Oh, bendito, right? <laughs> I, I wish that someone just told me, like, Justin, just have faith. You're good, you know? Like, you're, you're progressing. <laughs> but so many times we look at these accomplishments in our life and we fall into the same sin of Israel that we can live the way that we want as long as we check off a few things in our life. And John says, no, 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 no. And then every once in a while, a preacher comes along and scares you into repenting for a day. But then Monday morning rolls around and that's dumb R train is late again and I don't care what promise I made yesterday at church, but I am back into foulness today. Right back to the old ways. And so this stirs up a question in the crowd. When John lays this truth and this knowledge on them, they begin to get worried and they have to ask a question. And the crowd comes to him and asks him, what then shall we do? The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? The soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? The great question that we need to ask ourselves today, that we need to ask ourselves going into this new year is, what shall we do? If we have caught ourselves up in the religious game of hot potato of who's going to do it today, who, who, who's going to be the one that, okay, you, you be righteous today, I got Tuesday on lock, that's my small group day. Pastor got Sunday. I got dibs on Saturday afternoon. But John says to the crowd, he says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. He then looks at the tax collectors and he says to the tax collector, collect no more than you are authorized to do. He said to the soldiers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. 
All of these answers are the same. They lead back to what John originally told the crowd. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Nowadays, when the crowds come to church, the church's response is, how do we keep them? Rather than, how do we disciple them? John was not trying to win a popularity contest, if, if you didn't get that from his opening line in his sermon. He was trying to disciple people in the ways of God. He was uninterested in giving a little bit of the lie in order to keep a lot of the people. How often have I been guilty of not giving the full truth or maybe throwing in a little bit of a lie because I think that I'm the one that's in charge of this person's soul and whether they receive the gospel or not. When the scripture clearly says, it is my job to speak the truth, it is the Spirit's job to do the work. The lie is, how you've been living without Jesus is okay. The lie is, just come on Sunday and tithe and you'll be good with God. The lie is, as long as you stay motivated and believe the best is yet to come, you're on God's good side. That's why we have more motivational speakers today than we do preachers of the word today. John destroys the easy way out right from the beginning. Jesus did not die so that it would be easy. He died so that it would be possible. He died so that there would be a way of escape for the people of God from the wrath to come. That's why John says, who told you about what is about to happen? Do you think you're going to get this easy way out? Do you think it's just going to be a piece of cake? Just throw your head under water for a second, come out, and whoop, all good. Right back to the way I was living. No, he says, bear fruit with Repentance. So often we have translated the simplicity of the gospel to mean it is easy to live the ways of the gospel. Look at what he tells these people. John says, if you're part of the crowd, if you're, if you're just a regular person, you're here and you're listening, true repentance and the power of the good news will cause you to be generous with what you have even if what you have is not much. If you have two tunics, you give one. It's not like he's, this, this guy is opening up his wardrobe. He's got 30 tunics. He's like, all right, I'll give one away. If you have two, you give one, John says. And then he says, if you have two helpings of food, you give one. No, he doesn't say that. He says, if you have food, you share. Right, true repentance, the, the outward symbol of baptism of what happens in the heart should cause fruit to spring up in your life. And that fruit means generosity, that he says to the crowd, that you begin to realize that you share 
the good gifts that God has given you. If you're a tax collector, the worst of sinners, I mean, these are the, the greedy Wall Street people that everybody hates that destroys people's retirements and mortgages and lives because they just wanted to make a few extra dollars. These are the tax collectors. We got claps for that one. We pray for those greedy people, though. <laughs> as we do with the tax collector. These are the worst. The, the Jewish people hated these guys because what they would do is they would buy a contract to collect taxes for a specific region, let's say the 11220 zip code, and then they would be in charge of collecting taxes, and the Roman Empire didn't care how much you collected as long as it got what it required. And so what the tax collectors would do is go from house to house and they would sometimes double, triple the rates and take more money than they were supposed to. And guess what? If you didn't give the tax man what he wanted, then they would come with the army. I read a stat like the IRS has 5,000 guns in their arsenal and something like 5 million rounds of ammunition. It's like you better know. What's the, what's the saying? There's only two things. Pay taxes and die. Those are the only two things that are certain in life. So these tax collectors were the worst. And when they say, what shall we do? True repentance and the power of the good news transforms the greedy heart from ripping people off to now only taking what is due. John says, if you're a soldier, basically, if you're part of the mafia, if you're the Bensonhurst, Diker Heights, Italian mob, and you're going around and saying, you want protection, but protection from who? From us, essentially. You got to pay. Right, that's what soldiers would do. Who was going to tell a soldier no? That was bad for business, And so they would extort and use their place of power to extort people out of their money. John says to them, true repentance and the power of the good news will cause you to stop extorting people and live a life that is content. He is challenging them to change their way of life. This simple but not easy decision of repentance and baptism has lifelong consequences. All the tax collectors, it was generally realized that this is how they were. But guess what? These tax collectors would no longer be like this. All the soldiers were expected to make extra money on the side through extortion, but these soldiers no longer would. The crowds, people, were expected to hoard the little bit that we have, but no longer in the kingdom. See, what happens is when the gospel comes into our life, but it does not transform the way that we live in our job, then the question becomes, have we truly heard, received, and repented through the gospel? 
If the gospel comes and we say we receive it, but it does not change how we live our single life, then have we truly heard and received the gospel? If it does not change how we parent, then have we truly heard and received the gospel? See, John does not say when the soldier says, what shall we do? He doesn't say, well, here is the Our Father prayer. Here's this special cross that you're going to wear around your neck. And uh, make sure that you do your morning prayers and your rituals and you'll be good. No, he goes to the very practical to the, to the very thing that they find their identity in as a soldier, as a tax collector, this is the exact reason why they do what they do. And he says, that is going to change. See, it's true, the spiritual life will change. I will want to pray more. I will want to be part of the church. I will want to read my Bible. But so often, we compartmentalize the gospel and the good news to only being these spiritual things that we forget about how the good news affects the practical things. That God is very much interested in how you work at your job as much as he's interested in how much time you spend with him in prayer. And so often we believe it just matters how much we pray, but our prayer life has not had an effect on our job life. And then I ask you, what kind of prayer life is that? So you may be a salesperson who realizes you can no longer lie to make the sale. I remember uh, when I was in Ohio, I was broke, right? I went out there, I had like $350 in my name, uh, and that was supposed to last me a year in Ohio. <laughs> if you wonder where I learned to be frugal, that was the beginning of it. And so one of the first things I looked for was I, I went to go get a job. And me and two of my friends, we were both in the Bible school at the time. We, all of us went looking for a job. One of my friends found a job. Uh, and it was working for ADT security systems. And what we would do is we would look up what neighborhood had the most crime the night before. And then we would go to that neighborhood and we would tell them about all their neighbors that were robbed. We would go from door to door and ask them, do you want a security system? And so I was in this job the first day. And so every sale that we made, anybody that signed up, we would get a $200 commission. And anybody that they referred, we would make $200 off all the referrals. Now, okay, I'm 18 years old. I have $350 in my name that I'm starting to go get ramen noodles at, you know, Giant Eagle and Walmart because it was 15 cents for a packet. And I'm thinking, man, $200 for one sale. Wow, holy cow, this is going to be great. And so I get out there and man, I put on my best walking sneakers, which weren't good at the time. I get my, my ADT uniform, and we go out and start knocking on doors. And about five hours later, I, I knock on this one door, and the lady comes out, and she is, she is ripe for the sale. And so I call the manager. I'm like, I got a live one over here. He gets in the car, rushes over, jumps out. We start doing all the contract work. And then, you know, they taught us in the beginning, always ask, is there anybody that you can refer us to? And she's like, oh, yeah. 
and she starts giving me family and friends in the neighborhood, and I'm just thinking, gold mine, gold mine, gold mine, gold, like, I'm about to make triple, quadruple what I came here with on my first day. This is incredible. On the way home from that night, you know, we, we landed that deal, and tomorrow we were going to follow up. It was kind of the day was ending home. I remember jumping in the minivan. They got all of us packed in. We're debriefing. Uh, one of the managers finds out that we're Christian, and so he starts giving us Bible trivia. I love this. You know, he, he asks, how many brothers does Goliath have? You know, anybody that knows Bible trivia knows dumb questions like this. And then I'm like, I don't know. How do you know how many brothers? He goes, four brothers because David took five stones and he only killed Goliath with one. I'm like, where are you getting this garbage from? He's like, what was the first death in the Bible? And I'm like, uh, Cain? And he's like, no, the animal sacrificed to give the clothes to Adam and Eve. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> All you got new jokes for New Year's parties that you're going to on Monday. And some, you know, this guy, I start, so I started asking him questions. He grew up in church still, you know, attended church every once in a while. I'm like, okay, next day we come, and there's just a, a weird air in the room. I'm like, what happened? And I found out one of my friends thought what we were doing was a little fishy. I was 18. He was 24, a little bit more wise than me uh, at the time. And so he started asking questions, and you know, we're out on the job again for the second day. We get back, and he's just like, man, things are not adding up. The third day, I get into work, and he's just coming out, and he goes, Justin, we got to go. And I'm like, bruh, I didn't get my commission check yet. What are you talking about? We got to go. This is the third day. This, this is looking really good. You know, I'm about to make some money off of this thing. He goes, yeah, but I found out. This is what I found out. We don't actually work for ADT. It's like, what do you mean? We got ADT shirts on. We're selling ADT equipment. And he's like, yes, but actually, we work for a third party that is installing ADT equipment. And when we upgrade other people's old equipment, what's actually happening is we're not giving them to the ADT call center. We're going to some third-party security center for, three, for six months. And then after six months, they're calling ADT, switching them over because they don't want ADT to know that we're canceling these contracts and then upgrading them right on the spot. And it was just all this shady stuff. So really what we were selling was not what we thought we were selling. We were not selling ADT security systems. We were actually, the owner was running some kind of scam on the back end that is still confusing to me. If you're confused, don't worry. It's basically what it was like. But at the end of the day, we were selling a non-ADT and he found out because on the third day we weren't supposed to go saying that we sold ADT equipment anymore because we had canceled a few contracts in the last few days and ADT was starting to catch on to the scam. And I remember when he told me this, I was thinking, my check though. <laughs> I was like, but you know, they're still getting a security system, right? Like it's still a good product. I mean, the, the cops will come. If they, I mean, do we really have to stop? I, I, I'm really looking forward to the $600 in commission that I was supposed to get because the two of her referrals panned out the next day. And he, he said, Justin, as Christians, we cannot be part of an organization that is lying to people. And I was like, yes, but as a poor, hungry <laughs> college student, this organization sounds pretty good right now. I'm saying this is my conversation with him. And he was like, 
Justin, if you don't leave with me, I'm going to call your uncle right now. My uncle is the pastor of the church. And I was like, fine, man, we're going. <laughs> Obviously, God has done a lot of work in my heart. The gospel changes our everyday life and decisions. We can no longer just go about without a conscience. And so often we have gotten used to turning off our conscience in so many situations that we've even begun to stop being convicted about things. And I know that when I begin to no longer experience conviction from God about something, then I'm in deep trouble. That's when I'm just like, God, I pray the prayer of David, I get on my knees and I'm praying, mercy, 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 do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Right? It has to change our everyday life. A business owner who doesn't put themselves first at the expense of others. This is how the gospel changes someone's life. And when you begin to realize that, you begin to make better decisions about the life that you live in the gospel. I remember there was this one guy, he was managing my money, and I was in a meeting with him, and we were in, when we were in this meeting, the question was posed to everybody. We went around in a circle and asked, what is one piece of advice that you would give to another business owner? And this guy, he, he was, what do you call him, fi my financial planner. And he got up and he said, the, my piece of advice for all business owners is pay yourself first. And I was just like, huh. I always heard it the other way around, pay your employees first. And then, you know, it seems like he read my mind. He's like, you know, you may have heard it said pay your employees first, but I have realized that you always want to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. And I was like, okay, thank you for your wisdom. You will no longer be managing my money anymore. And next week I pulled my money out. Why? Because if that is his philosophy in life, that's going to be his philosophy with my money. That he is going to put himself first and make better decisions where your financial planner should be putting your finances first. There's ways that this begins to apply to your life. That you may say, well, everybody in my field does it this way. Every tax collector, this is how they make more money. Every soldier, this is how they make more money. Every person, this is how they make sure that they have enough. They hoard. Well, it doesn't matter anymore in the kingdom. Because John says the fruit of repentance in your life means that you can be a non-greedy tax collector. You can be an honest salesperson. You can be a generous business owner. You can do all these things. Because of how the gospel has changed your heart, the fruit of that, the generosity, the patience, the self-control, the goodness, the kindness, the love that begins to ooze in your everyday life now changes how you treat people, how you live with others, how you work in your job, how you treat your boss, how you act towards your teachers, towards your parents, towards your children. All of these aspects begin to change. If you are a teenager and you're in high school and everybody around you is smoking, drinking, hooking up, but you say, man, a child of God does not do these things, guess what? Be ready to receive ridicule and scorn. 
But what is happening is that there are dozens and thousands of high school students that are setting up their life addictions at 15, 14, 16, and 17. And what God is doing is he is keeping you away from opening the door of death in your life. That may take 10, 20, 30 years for you to conquer. God is interested in the decisions that we make every day at work. He's interested in the things that we say to people. He's interested in the ways that we treat our morning commuter next to us on the train that is manspreading and doesn't understand the idea that close your legs because I'm trying to get on this chair too. <laughs> Y'all weren't ready for that one. See, what, what happens is so often we let our moment with God be a temporary scare into a day of repentance. But really, John is saying this needs to be a lifetime of change. No matter what the accepted norm is of people, first we have to ask, what is the accepted norm by God? Because we live on a different standard than the world. God is uninterested in what other people did. He's interested in how you acted in that situation. Can we be as so bold as to come to God and ask for 2019, what shall we do? See, what that does is that question elevates God as Lord over your decisions. It puts him in the driver's seat of your life. It removes the idolatry of self-authority and individual pursuit and allows God to begin to mold your future. Will 2019 be what God wants to craft us into rather than what we want to become? God is not trying to scare you into a moment, church. He wants to change you for a lifetime. He's not interested in people that say today, oh, I'm sorry, God, but don't truly receive the good news of what he has done that bears fruit in their life. What we can do is we can prepare the way for what God wants to do in our future and in this next year and begin this year off by putting God in the driver's seat, by elevating him as Lord over our life, Lord over our decisions, Lord over our passion. So many times, year after year, we come to this point that we say, okay, what will this next year be like? And no prayer, no scripture reading, no consultation of God. We sit down and we make a list of what do I want? But these people, they ask the question, right, what shall we do? God, not what do I want, but what do you want me to do? Can we redirect our question asking? Can we redirect our goal setting? Can we redirect our desires for the next year and say, God, not what I have planned, not what I want to do, not the things on my goal list, but show me where are you leading me? What do you want me to do in this next year? What do you want me to do in my life? Where do you want to take me, Father? You are in charge. You are the one 
who is in the driver's seat. You are the molder and I am the clay. You are the one who is Lord over my decisions, over my life, over my mind, over my heart. When we come to God and we repent before him, let us stop allowing those times to just be moments in our life. But we allow those times to change our life. You know, sometimes our goals seem lofty of I want to get a promotion or I want to buy a home or I want to do X, Y, and Z where the things that God is looking at in our heart, can, can it be, I want to love my neighbor better. I want to learn to be patient with my friends or at work. God, that can you work your kindness in me towards my family, towards my schoolmates? God, what is it that we should do? Can you pray with me? Father, I pray that this new year would not be a year of what we want, but it'd be a year of what you want us to do. Father, I thank you that you are very interested in all the minutia of our life. You are very interested in how we act, Lord, in our jobs. You are very interested in, Lord, how we act towards our neighbors, Father. So I pray that every barrier that we've put up in our mind and in our heart that says you're only interested in the amount of time and prayer that we spend or the amount of times that we are in church, Lord, if we've been baptized or not, I pray that those barriers would be broken and we would allow the good news to seep into every single area of of our life, that going into this next year, that we would ask this great question that we see over and over again in the Gospels, what shall we do? Lord, that we would elevate you to King and Lord over our life, and that we would allow you to craft us into your image to bring glory to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. As we begin to worship...